1: Well, what's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? And what's up to you listening wherever you are tonight at WWL.com and the Radio.com app. Welcome on into the show. Logan's behind the glass, our studio producer. We got three hours to talk a little Saints, LSU, Pelicans, everything else locally and nationally tonight. Welcome on into the show. Uh, We're going to talk a lot of NFL the second half of this hour. We've got Steve Court coming on the program. We also have. Chris Trapasso, an NFL writer for CBS Sports, is going to talk about the expansion or proposed expansion to the NFL schedule. He wrote a great piece yesterday that I referenced on the show. I asked him to be on the show, and well, he's going to come on to kind of break down why he thinks the schedule expansion and – Players only playing 16 out of a possible 18 games is actually a good idea. Lots to talk about there. Later in the show, we'll talk Pelicans with Andrew Lopez, who's going to join the show. Expectations for this season. Is it fair to think the Pelicans can make the playoffs with the roster that they currently have without making any more moves? We'll talk to Andrew about that. Scott Alexander's on the show. Actually just confirmed that Scott's going to co-host Sports Talk with me tomorrow from 4 to 8 p.m. But Scott will be on the show tonight at about 9.35. And Mike Scarborough, editor and recruiting analyst for TigerBait.com, will talk some LSU football in our number three. Plus, a little British Open to talk about. Rory McElroy, Tiger Woods having real tough days of it. They'll go in round two trying to make the cut. Both are certainly on the fringe of that. We'll hear from Rory and Tiger later in the show. But welcome on in our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll today. As rookies reported for training camp, which Saints rookies are you most excited to watch? Or which one rookie are you most excited to watch this season? Eric McCoy, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Cade Ellis, Saquon Hampton, Lise Mack, somebody else, you tell us. You can cast your vote at WWL.com and the Radio.com app. I wanted to start the show, though, and Christian teased this. I heard him at the end of the show on Sports Talk talking about LSU and Joe Burrow. As SEC Media Days wrap up, Joe Burrow and LSU earlier this week were front and center, and Joe Burrow now is the face of this program from a player's perspective. There's no doubt about it. Well, Coach Joe might be, I guess, the face of the Tiger program. Joe Burrow is that from a player perspective. And He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's extremely confident. But something that I've been struck by this entire offseason, this entire summer, and certainly going back to the spring, were, well, something that's happened pretty much every year, the last decade, decade and a half with LSU. These sky-high expectations in the spring and the summer that are overpromised and underdelivered when it comes to the fall. We're always talking about it here on this show, and throughout the Tiger fan base, will this finally be the year the LSU offense can pass the ball effectively and move the football effectively through the air? They're going to have a quarterback capable of performing the best and outperforming his opponents and its counterpart in the biggest game, the biggest moments. When we talk about this every year, we get excited about Matt Canada or Cam Cameron. Now we're excited about Joe Brady. We're certainly excited about Joe Burrow. Well, the answer to those questions has been a resounding no the past decade, decade and a half, but it hasn't dampened the optimism of the LSU faithful. It's always next year. We're always talking about, well, maybe this is your, they can beat Alabama. We talked about that yesterday. And there's always a quarterback either on the roster or incoming that's going to be the savior of the program. That's going to pull this offense into the modern era. Well, fans answering those questions, I guess this year, they pin their hope on a couple of guys. Joe Brady, which we've talked about a lot, the latest wonder kid, football mind, 28 years old, who's going to help reshape this offense. I guess he's supposed to succeed where Canada Cameron, Littany and other Tigers coaches, Steve Ensminger could not turn this LSU air attack into a viable threat against opposing defenses. Maybe that'll actually happen. Nothing but great talk about Joe Brady. Seems a pretty big burden on his shoulders. But I'll tell you, that burden is nothing compared to the expectations being thrust upon the team's quarterback, Joe Burrow. Fan favorite, like I said already, carrying the entire weight of the expectations from the fans and the media on his shoulders. And he hasn't shied away from that. I know he's on the Paul Feinbaum show earlier this week talking about confidence and the confidence he has in himself And we can't play the bye, We don't have the rights for that. But he said, I'm just going to read you the quote here, quote, the key trait for almost any great player is confidence. When you're not confident, how are you going to go into Alabama and beat them? How are you going to go into Auburn and beat Auburn in front of 90,000 people in primetime SEC football? End quote. And Burrow is right. If a quarterback doesn't have confidence in himself, and comparatively, if his teammates don't have confidence in him, and disaster just a couple of plays away on a football field. But Burrow's confidence and this coaching staff who spent pretty much this entire calendar year gushing about what he might accomplish this fall, I tell you, that's fueled this expectation train and sent it into overdrive. These expectations are being framed, in my view, unfairly to Burrow and what he's probably capable of actually accomplishing on the football field in the dozen games and maybe 14 games where they get to an SEC championship game and a bowl game this fall. Let's talk about last season for Joe Burrow. And I liked the season Joe Burrow had. He helped stabilize the position that had just been, uh, frankly, awful since Ed O. Ed Orgeron, right on campus. He was solid. I don't think he was spectacular. I don't think anything would say that. Threw for just under 3,000 yards, 16 touchdowns and five interceptions. But here's the reality of Burrow's last season. And hear me out, because I'm not bagging on Joe Burrow with this opening monologue. Okay, I'm just trying to set realistic expectations here. Led the Tigers to their first 10-win season since 2013. And when quarterbacks are judged by the number and the digits they put in the win column, it's kind of an in-your-face number to any doubters, right, of Burrow. But there's also struggles, and there were also struggles by Burrow, that can't be overlooked, and you can't just gloss over these. During LSU's toughest four-game stretch of 2018— in October and into early November, games against Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Here's the truth. Burrow failed to throw a touchdown in those games. He never eclipsed 200 yards passing in a single game during that span. He threw four interceptions, completed just 53.5% of his passes. Oh, and LSU went 2-2 two and two in those games. Those stats are, are on paper. They're real. Now, I think the cumulative volume stats last year, like touchdowns and uh, yards, unfair metric to Judge Burrow by, considering how run-centric LSU was for the most part last season. I think efficiency ratings and numbers are, are better measuring stick. Well, Burrow wasn't great in those either. I referenced this yesterday. He completed 57.8% of his passes last year. That was number 87 nationally. He had a quarterback efficiency rating of 133.2. That was number 70 nationally. 7.6 yards per attempt, number 57 nationally. That's not exactly elite-level quarterbacking, folks. Even on a per-pass basis. Forget the volume stats. That's why I find it really bizarre that so many people think Burrow can be, and even some people are using the word should, should be, an elite college quarterback this year. Those expectations, folks, they're unrealistic, and they are unfair to Joe Burrow. Point blank. They are unfair to Joe Burrow. Limitations in his skill set were evident. They were widely in view last season. And people are acting like seven months of workouts, Joe Brady coming in, and some offseason training are going to turn him into Dan Marino. I mean, it's crazy talk, folks, and we go through this every single year with this program and that position. Now, I said at the top I'm not bagging on Burrow because I'm not. Joe Burrow should improve. I think he will improve. It's his second year in the system. Brady's influence should be a highly positive one. And just plainly, the team's going to have much more talent around him on offense, better receiving weapons, better offensive line, more depth in the backfield, a little continuity in the offensive staff. It's going to make his job much easier. And I also don't think that Joe Burrow needs to put up these video game-type numbers that his counterparts are across the country. Don't judge Burrow's season in the stat column. Guys like Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm, heck, whoever Mike Leach up there in Pullman throws out for Washington State and others, they're going to dominate those statistical leaderboards. It's because those systems have been designed for years to attack defenses by throwing the football downfield. LSU may get there eventually, but expecting that to happen overnight in one offseason? Come on, that's unrealistic too. If Joe Burrow can just be incrementally better than he was last season, I do think LSU can compete for an SEC and national title. They're that talented across the roster, especially defensively, which it might have the best unit in the country on that side of the football. I think designing a low-risk, complementary offense to that, that's, that's smart coaching. It doesn't mean you got to look like, I don't know, ground Chuck Knox out there calling plays on the sideline when you're running at 60 70% of the time. But it doesn't mean they need to throw the ball 50 times, four-eyed receiver sets all the time to be a playoff contender. Burrow's a stabilizing force. I like Burrow. He's the best quarterback the program has had since at least that Mettenberger, maybe Matt Flynn. But, folks, and look, I'm just trying to do my job here, talking on this station to all the LSU fans that I think it was a service to you. And that is tampering down, tampering down these, uh, tamping down, rather, these expectations. I mean, Christian said it. There's people out there that expect Joe Burrow to play like a Heisman Trophy candidate. That's nonsense. That's nuts. I will be the first one to fall on the sword if that actually happens. The odds of that happening are probably, I don't know, similar to the odds of Arkansas winning the SEC. It's not going to happen. You know, we go to this next year, we're going to have the election cycle again, the 2020 race, and what do we always hear from politicians and their strategists? It's better to underpromise and overdeliver. deliver I am so tired of the opposite happening with LSU every year. We are over-promised in the summer, and we are under-delivered in the fall. It's like we're promised a Ferrari with this LSU offense every summer, and in the fall we're delivered a Pinto. I don't think Burrow's a Pinto, but I don't think he's a Ferrari either. It'd be just a nice Cadillac. That'd be pretty fine, right? It's all the team's going to need to make the trek from Baton Rouge to New Orleans and play in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome for a title next season. So let's do everybody a favor. Let's do Joe Burrow a favor here, folks. Let's cut out this nonsense where he's supposed to play on a level par with Tua or Fromm or Lawrence or these other guys who are going to throw for 4,000, 5,000 yards, 40-plus touchdowns. That's not what Burrow's going to do. At least I don't think so. You tell me. If you disagree, give me a call. I'd love to hear from you. 504-260-1870. That's... 504 260 and our text line is 870 I am not hating at all. I like Joe Burrow a lot. I think this team is an SEC and national title contender, but yes, I think Burrow as a Heisman candidate or Burrow as an elite college quarterback. Come on, that's just crazy. Back after this on the last lap. Talking LSU football to open it up here tonight. And my column online right now that I just talked about to open, expecting LSU quarterback Joe Burrow to be elite, I think it's unfair. And I said, and I maintain this, two things. Number one, I like Joe Burrow. I think he's the best quarterback that that football team has seen, at least since Zat Mettenberger, probably since Matt Flynn. I also think he's in the upper half, at least, quarterbacks in the SEC, and also, I think LSU is a legitimate national championship contender this year. I think their roster is that loaded, especially on defense. So I got a text here, and I got a couple of these. Stop this, and I'm just paraphrasing here because I got a lot of them. Stop this, you're a LSU hater, you idiot. Text from the 504, quit hating. Another text from the 985 called me an idiot, he texted me back. Sorry, my emotions just got the best of me when I texted. I'm not hating on LSU, I think they're a title contender. I like Joe Burrow. My point here is expecting him like we're, we're here, this every, here this every summer and it just continues this. This is what I get frustrated in. It, it's unrealistic to think Joe Burrow is going to go from the 87th or 70th best passer in the country by what, whichever metric you use to you know a Heisman Trophy candidate, an elite quarterback. I don't know how you define elite. I think Joe Burrow is going to be fine. I think he's going to be really good. I don't think he's going to be Tua or Jake Fromm or Trevor Lawrence. Some of those guys. Text line is 870-870. Let's go to Carl in Hammond. Carl, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, how you doing? I'm good. Well, I I hear what you're saying, but you're also not mentioning the offensive line. Against Alabama, that one guy was like back there like he was in the huddle with LSU. So some of those guys up front got to do better, just like Burrow got to do better. Some of those receivers dropped some passes. And I like what he said about confidence because, because he said that um, you got to be confident. And there's a lot of SEC teams that just bow down to Saban. They just they just seem they play hard against the rest of the country, but against Saban, they just look like they're going down there just uh, giving up, and you know, hoping that he wins the trophy for the whole SEC.
1: Yeah, and that's my point. Carl is I think that the I mentioned the offensive line actually. Last segment, I said that the offensive line and everybody around him, pretty much every position group on offense, is going to be better. That's going to make his job easier. That's why that I think LSU is a threat to Alabama. I think they are a threat nationally to to win a championship. I do think those things. But I don't think Joe Burrow it, it is framing this offseason. Like, Joe Burrow is going to be the next coming, I don't know, of Dan Marino or, I don't know, Sam Bradford or Tim Tebow. Come on. Let's... Let's be a little realistic here. Thanks for the call, Carl. Let's go to Kevin in Baton Rouge. Kevin, welcome to the show.
2: Seth, thank you so much. Thank you for bringing some common sense to this entire situation. Like Carl said, you know, the offensive line, it all starts with the offensive line. I mean, a good quarterback can look like a great quarterback, an average quarterback can look like a good quarterback, but he looked like he was stuck in quicksand against Alabama. Joe Burrow is not the most fleet-of-foot quarterback. He had some nice runs off tackle that Insminger called um, during the year, and he had a good game against Georgia, a big run against Georgia. But you're exactly right. A lot of LSU fans just look through purple and gold uh, uh, sunglasses, and they just think, oh, man, he's going to be great and all this. Putting way too much pressure some of the LSU fans just need to calm down.
1: And I think, and Kevin, I I, I get that that's why they're fans. That's why you're a fan. You're a fanatic. It's in the name. But I have never been somebody in any of my shows, including this one, to be somebody that, that does that, that, says things that are unrealistic i'm here to kind of bring some common sense like you said thanks for the call 60 second break back with more of your calls and texts a couple of texts to get to here at 870 870 from the 504 you're 100 right on burrow he's more of a more than decent game manager but that's about it yeah i think he is more than a game manager he's more athletic than that i think he's going to improve from last year to this year it's just about expectations and tamping those down a little bit Here's a text from the nine eight five, Seth. What comparison to volume stats would be fair to assign Joe Burrow's grit intangibles? Well, I'll just stop you there. Grit's fine, grit's great, but grit doesn't alone win you football games. It just doesn't. It's nice to talk about grit and confidence, and I do think confidence is is ma- massive at that position. You got to be confident. You got to have your teammates confident. I loved. What Joe Burrow talked about on Feinbaum's show earlier this week. No doubt about it. Text from the 504, big LSU fan, but a realistic fan. Joe Burrow is an efficient QB. He's not looking to have big rushing yards or huge plays. He gives you what he sees. 10 wins, in my book, is a good season. Fan needs to stop with this. We should win it all now. We'll see. It's going to be very interesting. 504, 260, 1870. Our text line is 870, 870. We'll get to your text. We're also going to shift to NFL talk and also Steve Court coming up in about 10 minutes as we're going to talk Saints training camp. Rookies reported today for training camp. We'll get into that. And also this NFL schedule expansion proposal that we talked a lot about yesterday and through the week here on WWL, where the owners are proposing an 18-game schedule with players only being allowed to play in 16 of those games. Great conversation on that yesterday. And I referenced an article yesterday by Chris Trepasso, an NFL writer for CBS Sports, who kind of thought what I thought, that initially, I think we both were a little skeptical of this, but the more I thought about it, and I'll just put words in my mouth here, not his, I actually thought, you know what, this could work. And it was interesting and not trying to repeat everything I said yesterday, it was interesting because I thought, OK, well, they got to have some exemptions here. Obviously, you got to have exemptions for kicker and punter. And I never thought about an exemption for quarterback. And this is where Chris comes in because he wrote about this and kind of opened my mind up a little bit. And Chris is going to join us now at Chris Trapasso on Twitter. Again, NFL writer for CBS Sports. You can find his article on why the proposed 18-game schedule with a 16-game limit could actually work right now at CBSSports.com. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Thanks for joining us.
3: I'm doing pretty good, Seth. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. So, did I? Did I sum it up there pretty well that you and I are kind of a, at least in, in similar lockstep, where initial kind of discussed at the idea, more we thought about it. Hey, this might actually work.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think I was pretty much like anyone else, including yourself, that that I remember seeing it on Twitter, just seeing everyone saying, "I hate the idea. It's terrible." I thought the same thing. But then I, it, my biggest a question that I had after I thought about it, which kind of led to me writing the article um, over the weekend was how many players actually even play in all 16 games anyway. Um, So I did the research. I I went back to look at not only 2018, but 2017 and 2016 to get a pretty big sample size. And it turns out that there's, it's pretty close over those last three years, only about 31 to 32% of NFL players who are not on IR before the season, whether it be due to injury or suspension or just poor play that their coaches end up benching them um, or they get released or waived, they actually only end up playing all 16 games. So it it wouldn't be asking that much if there was an 18 game schedule and each team had to only allow their players to play 16 games. It's like, I saw a lot on Twitter that initially people were kind of almost assuming that every player is always available. And that, and as we know with how um, widespread injuries are, that's not the case. Um, so I, I think we've heard about an 18-game schedule for quite a while now, at least three or four years. And if this is something that the league is really going to push – um, I, I do not hate the eighteen sixteen schedule whatsoever.
1: And I hadn't thought about what you mentioned with quarterbacks also issuing them a, an exemption, Chris, but I guess that mm-hmm. makes sense. I mean, when you're designing a roster and building a team around one player, I guess you got to have that guy play every game, right?
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think with the league becoming so quarterback-driven today, um, and we know that there aren't even close to 32 competent quarterbacks um, to start for every team, to whether it be a playoff team or a team um, that's fighting for, you know, maybe the number one overall seed in their conference, like the Patriots or the chiefs. Um, if they had to sit Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, just because, and Tom Brady has been extremely durable in his career, that would just water down the product. And, and we don't necessarily need that. Sure. Quarterbacks can get injured. And I think the NFL PA would like it because they wouldn't want their players to necessarily be playing more games, but it would include more players into the pool of guys who are being paid by the league. So it's not just what the fans want. It's what the NFL and the owners want and what the NFL PA wants, because they're going to ultimately come together um, in this collective bargaining agreement. and, And I think that's going to be on the table. Is that the favorite to be, the front runner to be what what the new format could be i don't know about that but i i do think that there are some legs to it um and certainly quarterbacks not a ton of injuries at that at that position and it's gotten to be so valuable that you couldn't have those guys sitting and forcing backup quarterbacks onto the field there's just such a big difference between a starter and a backup for almost every team
1: it's chris Trepasso, nfl writer for cbs sports joining us you mentioned the players union have there have been any rumors or any word from the players union on how they're receiving this how they might counter
3: well they did meet both sides the the nfl and the nfl pa did meet earlier this week they wanted to get actually things done way before i mean this Collective bargaining agreement isn't up until after the 2020 season. So we do have time, but then they stopped talks that everything's fine. They kind of released a joint statement saying that, you know, they will continue talks later on. Um, I don't know if there are any rumors. I haven't heard anything necessarily either about how the NFLPA feels about it, but they certainly want more rest for their players and to go to a full 18 game schedule. I think logistically it would make sense, you know, give them one more by week. That seems to be like what everyone sees as the most logical. But in the end, I don't think the NFL PA and most NFL players do not want to play any more regular season games. Sure, taking away the preseason could maybe help to eradicate some of that. But for the starters who aren't playing a lot in the preseason anyway, that's two more regular season games for their bodies to just go through what they go through for 16 games already. Then you make the playoffs. You could be playing up to 20, 21, 22 games. Uh, I just think that it seems like from a fan perspective that fans think, Hey, you know, 18 games, no big deal, but we do have to remember that there's two sides to this and the NFLPA um, is not going to want, their players playing any more than 16
1: games so the fan part of this is very interesting because you're right nobody's going to scoff at the idea of 18 games but it doesn't seem like chris that this is something that is going to move the needle with fans i don't know if they're going to grow their their fan base by going from 16 to 18 games i mean this just does seem just like a play for more money from the league not something that fans necessarily are clamoring for
3: yeah, and I mean, I wrote that in the article that I think we pretty much all agree at this point that the 16 game schedule is fine. There's one bye week. I'm sure, players don't like the Thursday night games. They would probably like even another bye week right now. Um, but I think it's been the structure that we've gotten used to. And I think ultimately we would adjust to an 18 game schedule. And, and I think in general, for as much as initially some fans might say, I, I hate this, I don't like it, what are they doing? Um, if it were just a straight 18 game schedule or 18 games with a 16 game limit for players but we would adjust we would all of a sudden two or three years down the road almost forget that there was a 16 game straight schedule in the past and this country loves the nfl i mean it owns a day of the week in the fall so i think um for as much pushback as there was on the internet initially and if it did go into uh implementation that i think yes there you know maybe a super small dip in ticket sales initially and maybe the ratings but i think after a while once nfl football is on and 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 we're seeing the best football players playing at a high level um, i think fans would actually like to see more football i mean we get to the point where right now june and july i'm clamoring for more games um i want like the season to be here now i feel like you probably feel the same way so I I, I don't think um, that 18 games would be really met with that much um, you know disagreement from fans or criticism that it would really shake anything up um, with the NFL or the NFLPA
1: when would we see this it'd be in the new CBA so 2021 Chris
3: yeah 2021 the uh, previous CBA was signed in 2011 runs was 10 years runs through the end of 2020 so we're, we're still a little bit further away but I do know that both sides, the NFL and the NFLPA, do not want to get to the point of any type of strike or anything like that. Like we did have in 2011. It didn't obviously bleed into the regular season, but those rookies, Cam Newton, Von Miller, A.J. Green, those guys, Julio Jones, missed their training camps. There was no training camp that year. So I don't think that either side wants to get to that point. It just doesn't look good for the league. And, you know, any game that the NFL is missing out on that ton of money, going down the drain so I think it's good that they have already met both sides and something could be getting done you know as early as 2020 maybe I've even heard you know even at some point in 2019 the last part that I'll say though too is that I think this could be if you do think that this is a preposterous idea the 1816 16 schedule um, proposal it could be something that the, the league the owners kind of throwing out there to ultimately concede upon to then get something else in return in negotiations. I think that's kind of a, a tactic that gets used often in any type of labor talk. So that's something else to kind of keep an eye on to see if maybe the league can get something in return. Um, from the NFLPA, if they do concede on this 16-game limit.
1: Yeah, we'll have a keen eye on this as this process continues. He's Chris Trapasso, NFL writer for CBS Sports. You can find his column online right now, CBSSports.com. Why the proposed 18-game schedule with a 16-game game limit? Yeah, it might actually work. Chris, really appreciate the time tonight. Thanks so much.
3: All right, Josh, thanks a lot.
1: All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, let's talk a little Saints. Saints rookie minicamp open today. Uh, Training camp, rather, open today. Rookies reported, anyways, week early. It's next Thursday for everybody else. Steve Court, former Saints offensive lineman, and my partner on Saints game days on Fans First Take. He joins us next. Well, Saints training camp is here. We'll have all the coverage for you at WWL.com. Just the rookies right now. Everybody else reports next Thursday. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll, WWL.com, radio.com app. Which Saints rookie are you most excited to watch this season? You tell us. We'll keep an eye on those results as the show goes on. Steve Court coming into the show now at Saint60 on Twitter, former Saints offensive lineman and co-host with yours truly on Saints Game Days, fans first take during football season. Steve, here we go, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I- Good evening to you, Seth. How you been, buddy? Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been really good. Got back from vacation. I'm raring yeah. to go, man. I, I got a a, right. a question on my show last night that I thought was perfect right. for you. Somebody asked, "Hey, what's the differences between regular?" training camp and what the rookies go through now after this new CBA and I said well frankly I just don't know all the intricacies and details and I thought well maybe you wouldn't look the closest I got to play in NFL football is when I created myself in Madden I think so Steve what are the rookies going through yeah. that's maybe different for uh, uh from the veterans next week
2: well look not not a whole lot and I'll tell you this why because typically the mini camps that we've had we've had the personnel in there that we've you know that we're having in training camp that are that are there so uh, everybody's pretty much uh, acclimated to, you know, where the facilities are, what that's all about, and you know, who your coach is and all that kind of stuff. So really the, the you know, the things that you are, are concerned with now is, is really sort of um, expanding on their knowledge of what, uh, you know, specifically, you know, Hey, uh, defensively, you know, uh, you know, and what am I doing in all these different def- defenses and in these different calls and things like that. And then offensively, it's the same thing, you know, um, you know, what are these typically plays these running plays and these pass plays, and typically, you know, how are those going to pan out? So it's really just more practice on stuff that you've already practiced on. But what they do is they get the advantage of sort of having uh, the ability to sort of um, get the additional reps without having any of their veterans there. So there's a, uh, you know, they're getting all the reps. So that's really the most important part is the fact that they're getting they're getting you know they're getting all of the uh, the majority of the time
1: one of the saints players was on the did not report list i've already getting text about that oh did he really not just show up is that what happened steve with that or is that a little more nuanced um than, than he just didn't show up
3: yeah yeah that
2: could be different but, but at the same time it, it typically is it's basically saying that for some reason uh the guy didn't report whether it was that they knew about or something they didn't know about, but they have to they have to be accountable for when their guys are, are all there. And, and, you know, if they're there and where they're supposed to be, then then they can't do that. But if they say he didn't report to camp, then he didn't report to camp.
1: Yeah, that was defensive end Carl Granderson, the rookie, placed on that reserve, did not report list earlier today. Hope that answers the questions. Yeah. A couple of texts that we were uh, getting in there. You know, Eric McCoy's going through this now, and you know this, Steve. We talked about it a lot. This is a massive camp for him and really the team.
2: Well, look, this is going to be critical for, for this football season. It really is because, um, look, for that one reason, I, and I think Mike Tillier has basically said it last week. I think I remember hearing a show last week where they were talking about, look, uh, it changes the betting line in Las Vegas when the starting center is out. So <laughs> that gives you an idea of how important that position is and and, and, uh, and the proclivity of, of, of having somebody there that is, that is able to sort of take the reins uh, and 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 be at that position in a starting capacity. Now, the good part about it is, is Saints have a, a number of young guys, and that have been there with the system. Camera Tom has been there for the last few years, so he knows these plays inside out and backwards. And, and he's been there, and he's and he's, uh, he's been in situations situations like before. And look, he's still there for a reason. Okay, and uh, look, uh, McCoy has come in, and, and he, yeah, he had a great. College career, make, make no question about it. Anytime you can come in as a, as a four-year starter from the day you get there until the day you leave uh, and you play all those games and, and really don't miss anything and, and then play at that good level against pretty good competition, the best that college football can throw at you uh, and pretty much excel, that's a good thing. But at the same time, Seth, this is uh, that's college football. <laughs> and what he did was uh, he beat up defensive linemen for college football. So um, I did try to tell him and explain to him that uh, – there's going to be some guys that won't even make the squad um, that are going to be the best defensive line he's ever gone against.
1: Hey, how many? So uh, many one,
2: yeah. Oh, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just saying once they get gear on, uh, we're going to be able to tell a whole lot more about, um, you know, offensive and defensive line play because you can only do really so much uh, when everybody's running around out there in their underwear. So in, until they they kind of begin to, to, to get the gear on to be able to sort of do things you have to do that, to be able to, you know, Prove that you're a blocker. And prove that you've got good technique. Prove that you're a guy that can rush the passer. All those types of things uh, really don't come into light until uh, the gear gets on.
1: Yeah. Uh, this offense looked a little bit different last year, a little more horizontal with Taysom Hill and, and Alvin Kamara in his second year. Do we expect that transformation with Drew getting a little bit older to continue, where this offense is going to look, uh, you know, even more different than it did last year?
2: You know, I don't think it's going to look as much. I don't think it's going to look different, Seth. I think it's going to be. And I don't think it has really much to do with whether Drew's getting over or not. I just think the fact that we've got guys that are um, – look, that's that's part of this game uh, that Sean plays and he plays it so well. When you've got pieces um, of your offense that are different, that uh, defensive coordinators that have to to now account for that, and they have to practice those during the week, and they ha- that just creates a lot of time and space and then what it does it's it gives you so many different options. You just don't know what the Saints are gonna do every week and you know how creative they get. They they come up with something new every week that they haven't seen before. There'll be some stuff that they come up with this year that um, that they haven't put on tape any, you know yet. And and I think it, that's gonna be the that's the fun part of it when they know that yeah. okay, number seven comes in, but hey Drew's still <laughs> in there. You know, what what what, what are they gonna do with this guy now? I mean, you know what what yeah. You know, so it creates so many different problems. So um, th- those are the ones that they kind of say, hey. uh, the defensive coordinators are like, man, this guy, uh, he's hey, st- in the ass because st- there's so many different things that, that that we have to do here with these with this offense."
1: Yep, Steve Korn, hey, We I got to leave it there. Hard break, bud. But look, I'll see you at training All camp right. next week. Have a great one, buddy. Bye. All right, Steve Court. There he goes.
0: Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.